0: A study from Brunel University, London, has found that physically weaker men are more likely than physically strong men to be attracted to socialism. This is a real study which actually confirms the findings of a previous study from Denmark. The Brunel academic studied 171 men aged 18 to 40, and found those who favoured socialism tended to be what, in scientific terminology, are usually referred to as as weaklings, or or wimps, or milk toasts, or panty wastes, or pansies, or sissies, or wusses, or doormats, or wimps. Maybe I said wimps already. Conversely, men who supported capitalism tended to be physically stronger and to kick sand in the faces of men who supported socialism and then drive away in their far larger cars with their much prettier and more sexually satisfied wives. Once the stronger capitalist men were out of sight, the socialist men tended to stick their tongues out at them and then go home sniffling with grimy, tear-stained faces and hide in the attic, pulling the wings off flies. It's possible I made some of that up probably the part about the flies. Anyway, the scientists found, and this is true, that men who were more physically formidable were less likely to support the redistribution of wealth, whether or not they were themselves wealthy. This may be because weaker men, sometimes referred to as mama's boys or girly men or cream puffs, realize that the only way they can get their hands on the wealth of stronger men is by ganging up on them and plundering their honestly earned resources and then sharing them out among themselves while telling themselves what good and generous people they are for stealing other men's money. Stronger men, on the other hand, seem to believe that any puling panty waist mama's boy willing to expand the tyrannical powers of a constitutionally limited government in order to steal wealth that doesn't belong to him and which he would never have the strength or courage to steal or create on his own, probably deserves to have his underwear seized from the back and pulled so high up his nether bifurcation that he finds himself chewing on the smelly part. Then he should be hung by a shirt collar on the hook inside the locker of the prettiest girl in school so that when she finds him there... She'll pretend to sympathize with him, but then go on a date with the stronger capitalist man who will be able to support and sexually satisfy her. According to one of the social scientists who performed the study, Dr. Heinrich von Weistheimer, quote, our researchers observed that those men who were technically designated as milksops or snivelers or whiny boys tended to more often say things like, it's not fair, and I want some too, in wheedling high-pitched voices that just made you want to bounce them down the street like so many rubber balls, unquote. After the study was completed, the researchers and the physically stronger capitalist men all went out for a beer together, leaving the weaker socialist men behind, clutching their plush dolls of Barack Obama or as they refer to him, one of us. Trigger warning, I'm Andrew Clavin, and this is The Andrew Claven Show. I feel hunky-dunky, life is tickety-boo. Birds are ringing, also singing, hunky-dunky-dee-doo. Ship-shaped, ipsy-topsy, the world is a zing It's a wonderful day, Hurrah hooray! hooray. It makes me want to sing! Oh, hurrah, hooray, hooray! Oh, hooray! All right, it's the mailbag tomorrow, so get your questions in. You've got to be a subscriber to thedailywire.com. It's just a lousy eight bucks a month. You get to ask anything you want about politics, religion, your personal life, anything. The answers are guaranteed 100% to be correct, and they will change your life on occasion for the better. So you want to get in to thedailywire.com, lousy eight bucks a month, and you can be in the mailbag tomorrow. Uh, That opening was as cruel and nasty as anything I've ever heard, and I'm ashamed that anyone would uh, put that on the air. And we'll get back to it in just a minute. But first, we have to talk about uh, policy genius because a lot of talk about health care, health insurance and all this. But you, you have to ask, do you have life insurance? And if you don't have life insurance, it could be that you are a base knave and cative because your people who depend on you will not be taken care of. If you are, your secret hideout is found and your rebel band is overrun and something terrible happens to you, the people who rely on you will not have the money that you are now earning. That could be your kids, could be your spouse, could be your elderly parents who need you to take care of them. So the thing about life insurance, why don't you have it? It's expensive. You don't want to deal with the life insurance salesman. You don't have to. You go to policygenius.com. It's the best Online life insurance marketplace. There's no sales talk. They don't push anything on you. You just get to compare the most accurate quotes from the top A rated life insurance companies, and you can save that way. You save. Up to 40% on life insurance because when they're competing, obviously you win. Policy Genius is a very simple, user-friendly website to shop and compare all the top-rated life insurance companies and give you the best options. And they have licensed customer service team to help find you the best policy, the best price. They're not going to push anything on you. They won't call you at home. They're just going to help you compare the prices. And while you're there, you can check out other insurance things they have, like pet insurance, which is kind of interesting, if, especially if you happen to be supported by your dog. So go to Policy Genius. <laughs> go to Policy. Genius.com today and you can save over 40% off prices for life insurance because when life insurers compete for your business you save money lots of money that is p-o-l-i-c-y-g-e-n-i-u-s.com policygenius.com zero jargon zero sales pressure zero hassle life insurance made easy free quotes zero hassle peace of mind don't wait Go to policygenius.com today. I cracked myself up with a bad joke about dogs. I'm sorry about that. All right. But really, life insurance is something you ought to have. That's a good way to get it. Policygenius.com. So, you know, talking about the weak and the strong and the fact that weak men can be uh, very dangerous because weak people do kind of nasty things. They win by subterfuge. You know, there's a wonderful, if you've never read the novel, I know I've quoted this before. It's been a while since I quoted it. But if you've never read the novel, uh, Ken Kesey's One Flew Over the Cuckoo's Nest, Uh, you may have seen the movie with Jack Nicholson. It won a million Oscars. But the book is better. The book is much better. really well-written book about a kind of a tough guy who is, to get out of prison, pretends he's insane, and he's thrown into a a mad asylum with all these people who are supposed to be insane. And he starts to lead them and bring them back out of their insane insanity simply by the force, essentially, of his masculinity, of his unbridled masculinity. And there's one point in which, you know, McMurphy, who's a rouster and a drinker and a fighter and all these things, he is talking to them about what it's like to be in a bar fight. And he says to them, you know, a weak man is dangerous because he will kick you in the groin, whereas a strong man will pick up, is dangerous because he'll pick up a chair. And he says a strong man seeks to make himself stronger while a weak man seeks to make you weaker. And that is really what we are seeing in the political sphere today because the Democrats have the media, they're weak, they, they don't have the government the republicans have the government and the democrats are wielding the media to create this complete atmosphere of fantasy and lies and to silence the right while the right so far is using the government and not maybe not as effectively as the left is using the press so like for instance right now everybody's waiting for jeff sessions to testify he's probably going to test start testifying in about 15 minutes we won't have time to talk about that today obviously we'll talk about it tomorrow but why why should we talk about it why is he testifying why is everybody talking about it? we already know that trump isn't under investigation for anything or wasn't under investigation for this russia collusion the idea that jeff sessions is some kind of Russian operative is so stupid and ridiculous and insane and the idea that he would uh, collaborate or collude with Russians to do anything wrong with the election is just absolute nonsense. This is all now a fantasy. It's all, you you know, shadows and mirrors and smoke that they are doing because they don't have the government and so they can't continue to do what they were doing before, which is to take away our freedom. You know what the most important thing about Jeff Sessions is? I, I, I'm i willing to bet that a lot of you listening to The Sound of My Voice don't know this story about Jeff Sessions, that what he did recently was he... Stopped the Obama administration practice that encouraged and sometimes required banks and other companies to donate large amount of monies to outside groups as part of settlement agreements with the federal government. Now, that sounds like an incredibly boring story, but it's not. Listen for just a second. Say you're a bank. Say you're a big business, okay? And the federal government comes after you. So, one day, it's like that show on uh, Showtime, Billions. One day, the federal attorney comes out and says, you're not doing things right. Uh, We're taking you in. You could go to prison or... Or you could settle with the government for several hundreds of millions of dollars in fines, and we want you to pay those hundreds of millions of dollars in fines to ACORN, to our left-wing, you know, whatever our left-wing charity is, the charity of our choice. That's what the Obama administration was doing. And since we know that under you know, the, the new restrictions and the new regulations that Obama piled on business, you're virtually always committing a crime when you're in business. You're virtually always a foul of some stupid regulation or some law. So it's just a question of time and of choice that the federal attorney is gonna to come to you from the deep state and say, pay up and pay ACORN or whoever we want you to pay. As, as a settlement for this, and of course, you don't want to go to jail, you don't want to face even worse fines if you lose a court case, and so you pay up. Jeff Sessions stopped that, just a total slush fund. The, you know, the other thing that's funny, in conjunction with that, while James Comey was testifying, and everybody was going, what's he saying, and what does it mean, and did he say this, and did he say that, the House was passing a law that gutted Dodd-Frank. Passing a bill that gutted Dodd-Frank, which is this incredible mountain of legislation and regulation that was written by Barney Frank and Christopher Dodd, to the big causes, to the men who actually caused the 2008 meltdown. So they caused the meltdown and then said, oh, wow, you know, the free market doesn't work. We need more government intrusion in your business. And if you violate that intrusion, by the way, you've got to pay millions of dollars to our favorite left wing charity. So all of this stuff was going on, this incredible uh, chain of regulation and Corruption, deep state corruption that was funneling money to the left. Jeff Sessions stomped on that as well. He should have. It should be illegal. It shouldn't. You shouldn't be able to do it in the first place. But of course, nobody ever stops it because if you win, then you get the money. So Jeff Sessions, because he's an honest guy, straight arrow, he he put a stop to it as well. He should. That's the big story about Jeff Sessions. Whatever happens today, whatever, however they wrong foot him in testimony, which I don't think they will. I think he's smarter than most of them. Put to, most of the panel put together. Uh, you know, I just. Think it's not. It's not even important. It's not a story. You know, there was a, there was a moment yesterday that was kind of symbolic of all this, and it was it was funny. I have to say, was Trump sat down and had his first meeting with his full cabinet because the left has been doing everything they can to you know slow down his appointments, and he hasn't been the Trump administration hasn't been that uh, efficient in appointing, stocking the government with his people, and getting the Obama people out. So. He sits down with his full cabinet and he goes around the table, letting them introduce themselves to the press, and they start to lavish praise on him. And some of it got a little fulsome here. Just a brief clip of Reince Priebus uh, lavishing praise on
1: On behalf of the entire senior staff around you, Mr. President, we thank you for the opportunity and the blessing that you've given us to
0: serve your agenda and the American people. And we're con- continuing to work very hard every day to accomplish those goals. So it's a, it's a blessing. It's a You've blessed us, Mr. Trump. You've blessed us, Mr. President. So it got a little fulsome, a little silly. And Chuck Schumer got in a good shot. we got to give the devil his due. He, he put out his own video making fun of it. And this is that. I want to thank everybody for coming. I just thought we'd go around the room. Lucy, how'd we do on the Sunday show yesterday? Your tone was perfect. You were right on message. Michelle, how'd my hair look coming out of the gym this morning? You have great hair. Nobody has better you hair know, than before you. Before we go any further, I just want to say thank you for the opportunity and blessing to serve your agenda. That's great. <laughs> <laughs> well, good on you, Chuck. You got in a good shot. I mean that that is funny. The thing is, though, though, that really the meeting, when I I actually watched the video because everybody was making so much fun of it, and I didn't find it that offensive. I didn't find it that silly, uh, you know, but listen, turnabout is fair play. But it is kind of symbolic of what's going on is that Trump is putting together a government. He has the government. The Republicans have the government. And all that the left has is that kind of thing, is mockery and confusion and fantasy, this fantasy that they're creating and lies. And... Trump's real point in that meeting was very different. What Trump, how Trump opened that meeting was really what he was trying to say, and this is uh, cut number two.
1: We have much great news to share with the American people today as we continue to deliver on our promises. Due to a record-long delay in confirmation and the confirmation process by the Senate Democrats which I call the obstructionists. Maybe they'll change, but I doubt it for a while. But they are truly obstructionists. This is our first Cabinet meeting with the entire Cabinet present. Uh The confirmation process has been record-setting long, and I mean record-setting long, with some of the finest people in our country being delayed and delayed and delayed. But that's Much of that is over, and now we're going through, as you know, the regular process with people at other levels of government, and that's a very long process also, including Ethics Committee, which has become uh, very difficult to deal with.
0: So... Trump's real point was basically it took him this long to put this cabinet together, not because of his incompetence, but because this is what the Democrats are doing. And we all remember we all remember what you know Hillary Clinton said when Trump hinted that he might not accept the results of the real- Of the election, and she said, That's horrifying. I can't quite do her screechy uh, hawk's cry of a voice, but she said, That's horrifying because, you know, the democratic process. And man, if you could just think back to this stuff on MSNBC, and I don't, you know, I try not to hit MSNBC too much because I believe they're an openly honest left wing. Station. It's not like NBC and CBS and ABC and the New York Times and the Washington Post who pretend to be uh, honest brokers of the news, but are in fact are far left, uh, far left operatives basically with press cards. MSNBC at least is telling you, like Fox News, we are left wingers, we are right wingers. That's that's fine by me. But MSNBC, I just remember when she when he said that, when Trump said that he might not accept the results of the election, he was going to leave people in suspense. They went on forever. This is disqualifying. It's the end. of Even even uh, the head of the RNC at the time, Michael Steele said, oh, it's disqualifying. He can't be a candidate if he says this and all this stuff. But of course, now it's the Democrats who will not accept this this election and are just planning to win the House so they can impeach Trump. That is all they're trying to do is lay the groundwork for that with this complete and utter fantasy of Russian collusion. I got to say goodbye to Facebook and YouTube, but, but you can come over to the dailywire.com and watch the show right there. If you subscribe, and if you subscribe, you can be in the mailbag more importantly, because your horrible, miserable um, uh, life that you're just dragging yourself through could be completely transformed by having your questions answered on this show. So come on over. Now, of course, the, qu- the question is, if the left is using the press so well, how well are the Republicans using the government? And I would say it's kind of an open question in two ways. One is, again, with Donald Trump, it's not that he uses Twitter. It's certainly not that he hits the press. I think he should stomp on them every single day. I think the press deserves to be stomped on every day, kicked down the street every day, not censored, but just made fun of and attacked because they're so dishonest that he's abs- Donald Trump is 100% right about the American media. It's dishonest. It's one-sided. It's biased. They really need to be reformed. They need to be reformed. And since there's no way to do it through the government and it shouldn't be done by the government, they need to do it themselves. And the only way to get it, them to do it themselves is for us to shame and boycott them and stop watching them and cut our cable uh, ties so we're not funding CNN without even watching them. But, but Trump also also gets involved in these investigations, which at this point, he should just ignore. He should say, look, this is a total fantasy. I'm now going to govern. I'm not going to address this anymore. And he should just ignore it. Bill Clinton was very good at this when he was being, uh, when the, during the scandal over Monica Lewinsky. He was very good at putting that in one side of his brain and just going forward with doing his job as president. And Donald Trump has to learn to do the same thing. He has got to learn when to keep his mouth shut. And the other thing, of course, is the Republicans who are just in a circular firing squad. If they do not get if they go into the summer recess without getting health care sorted out, without getting tax reform or at least a tax cut sorted out, you know, then the then the the weak people, the Democrats, are using their weapon, the press, at a very, very high level, and the strong people, the Republicans, are you are not using the government at all. They're not using the weapon that they have, which is actual political power. So you know, the, the thing about the press that is so frustrating for most of us on the right, or most of us who live in the real world, which is pretty much the same at this point, is, is the way in which they are just completely, they rewrite history as it comes in. And we saw this yesterday. Yesterday was the anniversary of that horrible Pulse nightclub shooting in Orlando. And forty-nine people dead, a gay bar in Orlando. Omar Mateen, a Islamist sympathizer, walks in and opens fire. And so, of course, they had to they have to do something about this. They have to the left has to talk about this, and they did it virtually. I mean, the Washington Post ran a story in which they virtually did not speak of Islam, of the motives of the uh, killer, of what this story was about. And this has been going on since this happened because. The killing of gay people in the name of Islam, you know, it was too much cognitive dissonance for the left to deal with. And I just want to go back and remind you for a moment of what it was like when this happened. This is a montage of the what you'd call the hot takes of the press dealing with the news as it came in and you'll hear one voice speaking truth to power which is Hugh Hewitt who says this is about Islam but all the rest of them and you'll hear how he's immediately interrupted and virtually shouted down but just listen to the way the press in real time is rewriting the story.
1: Is it just because it's a diverse club and he hates diverse people? You know, there's a lot of uh, uh, domestic terrorists we classify that that do that. They're rooted in uh, white hate movements. And so it could be that. But ISIS would do this to a hundred million Americans if they could.
0: But so would white nationalists.
1: No one could have predicted this. No one could have prepared for it this could have happened anywhere it's like a lightning
0: we don't have any dialogue going on in america about all these mass shootings that have occurred we're not getting to the core issue which is how easy it is to get a gun i mean florida happens to have the largest gun owning population
1: in the country and some of the most lax laws as to how you can get your hands on even an assault rifle and i got to tell you you know over 25 years ago i believe that in this country we should not be selling automatic weapons which are designed to kill people. Hey, Hillary Clinton has a very strong gun control program. Trump, he's tethered to the, tethered the, to the NRA. NRA. I, I think know
0: we're having this debate about terrorism or domestic. It make any difference. Guns are really easy to get their hands on, and that's the debate that ought to be going on.
1: It's not really time for any sensational news just uh, and rush, rushing to judgment.
0: What's breathing life into ISIS around the world is this sense, this 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 rhetoric that's coming from prominent politicians that confirms their view of the world.
1: And clearly there's a, there's a place today in this dialogue for us to talk about the tone and temperament of our national leaders. And if we just understand that all of the hateful thoughts become hateful words, become hateful actions and it may be in the course of this after what happened that we will just, the tempers
0: temperatures will go down it's that's that's how it works your hateful thoughts come out of your head kind of like smoke and then they take the shape just coincidentally of a muslim and then he starts killing people my favorite in there is the muslim guy saying who could have predicted this it came out of nowhere it was like a lightning (laughs) lightning bolt it's like maybe maybe we could have gotten a sense of it if we'd read the quran but other than that it just came out of nowhere but this this was happening until The advent of Donald Trump, this was happening at the highest level of our government. I mean, this is a thing you have got to hear because it's worth remembering. It is worth remembering. First of all, it's worth remembering the shooting. It's worth remembering the horrible day, this horrible thing that happened. But here is the killer talking to an Orlando police 911 operator who, by the way, I don't know if you can call this heroism, he's not under fire, but it is immense calm, immense professionalism, talking to this nutbag with a gun and he knows he's gotta calm him down and find out what's happening. And the Orlando guy just, he breaks your heart with his uh, uh, absolute professionalism and cool. But listen to what the killer is saying to him on the phone. Hi there, this is Orlando Police. Who am I speaking with, please?
1: You're speaking with the person who pledged the allegiance to the Islamic State of the Okay. Um, can you tell me where you are right now so I can get you some sure. help? No, because you have to tell America to stop farming Syria and Iraq. They're killing a lot of innocent people. So what, what am I to do here when my people are getting killed over there? You get what I'm saying? I, I do, I completely get what you're saying. What I'm trying to do is prevent anybody they else. Need stop the US they need to stop the U.S. airstrikes. Okay? They that. need to stop the U.S. airstrikes, okay? I understand that. They need to stop the U.S. airstrikes. You have to tell the U.S. government to stop bombing. They're killing too many children. They're killing too many women, okay? I understand that, but here's, here's, here's why I'm here right now. I'm with the Orlando police. Can you tell me what you know about what's going on tonight? Here's
0: the right. Okay. All right. So first of all, that Orlando, the 911 operator deserves a promotion. I don't know who he is, but he was doing a great, great job as somebody who has been on crisis phone calls that he was absolutely operating at the top level. Uh, but let's see. But remember, Omar Martin. I swear allegiance to the Islamic State, you have to stop bombing my people. I swear allegiance to the Islamic State. And here is in one of her most famous appearances and one that was possibly the most indicative of who she was, was blandly corrupt Attorney General Loretta Lynch speaking about the motive of the killer after that 911 tape was public.
1: You know, whenever you look at someone's motivation or intent, whether they're living or whether they're dead, you look at their actions and their activities surrounding the event. You look at what they said, you look at what they did, um, you look at how they behaved, uh, and you come up with the most reasonable interpretation, the one that fits the facts there and so we do feel that as we continue to build a timeline and a chronology and to build his life that we will be able to determine this i cannot tell you definitively that we will ever narrow it down to one motivation uh people often act out of more than one motivation this was clearly an act of terror and an act of hate um so we will we will look at all motivations and hope to come to a conclusion um there
0: we may never know his motives. We may never know his motives. You know, I kill for Allah. No, you don't. You know, that's that's basically the dialogue. This is the difference between people with ideas who want to fix stuff, which are the good people on the right. And of course, there are bad people on every side. That has nothing to do with it. But strong people are people with ideas who want to fix stuff, make stuff work. And weak people want to recreate the world by saying it's not what it is. And you know... Every time I talk about this, I get letters from people, emails and comments from people saying, why does it matter? Why do the words matter? Why is it such a big deal that Donald Trump forced people to say Islamic terrorism? Why does that matter? It it matters almost more than some of the policies. I mean, it matters, it's one of the most important things. The left has a theory. The left has a theory that there is no truth and therefore language creates narrative and the narrative creates reality. That is their real theory. They believe that the way we speak things, the way we delineate things, that is not natural. It's imposed. So I'm just imposing on you my idea of a man and a woman. I'm just imposing on you my idea of madness and sanity. These are real theories that they have. And so if I can just get everybody to say that a woman is a man, poof. She's a man. Her, then her gender has magically changed. We have a theory. That there is a world of objective truth, not just objective in its physical form, but in its nature. The nature of things is real. That things have a purpose. That things, uh, you know, are created for a reason. And and by the way, you know, a lot of a lot of people trace this back. I can really understand this. I think there's, there's legitimacy to this. They trace it back to evolution. But it's not evolution that's the problem. It's the logic of evolution. In other words, it's perfectly possible that the world works through evolution, but the theory of evolution, which says this is all utterly random, even at the cosmic level, which is something you cannot possibly know. You're just making that up. That's the problem. It's the idea that things have no purpose. We believe that there is such a thing as truth. Now, if you believe there's such a thing as truth, and you stop people from speaking, because we all know that it takes a lot of people to get to the truth. No one person is in possession of the truth. We do it by debate and by having the great conversation through the years, right? if you, censor, if you believe there's such a thing as truth, then censoring people is oppressive. You are oppressing people by censoring them because each person has his little piece of the truth that he's bringing to the conversation. If you don't believe there's the, there's the truth, if you believe that the truth is just the narrative, then censoring people is actually changing the world for the better. This is the way the Soviets behaved. If you just rewrite history, they rewrite history like the, the guys who were trying to take down statues of Confederate generals and all this stuff. You take away that history. You rewrite the past as they were doing yesterday with the pulse killings, you know, and then you've changed the world. It's, what's oppressive about that? It's all good. It's all good. Then you don't have to be a man if you want to be a woman. All we have to do is just get everybody not to say what you are, not to see, just to, just to say that the emperor's clothes look Great. OK. And if if you believe that the emperor is essentially naked when he is not wearing clothes, that the truth about him is that he is naked, then you are being oppressed. So this brings me to the question of Trump assassination porn, which uh, and, and censorship, which comes to light, of course, the most recent one, there was Kathy Griffin with her severed head. And there's now Shakespeare in the Park, which put on wonderful productions in Central Park and are putting on a production now of Shakespeare's Julius Caesar, in which Julius Caesar is Donald Trump. He is wearing the red tie and the open overcoat and he's got the you know sloppy red hair and all this stuff. And so you're watching him knifed to death. And a couple of sponsors of this, mostly they, they get some national money, this this. Troop gets some National Endowment of the Arts money, and I'm against all government funding of the arts. I think the arts should have to make their way in the world with uh, patrons and with by winning the audience over. But a couple of uh, corporate sponsor, sponsors, Delta Airlines and Bank of America, have announced that they are pulling out. Now, I'm a free speech absolutist. I believe you know, anything but but shouting fire in a crowded theater or actually threatening somebody's life, I'm going to kill you. Anything but those things should be left alone. You know, I think people should be able to say whatever they want. And yes, do I believe somebody should be able to put on a play in which Donald Trump is assassinated? Sure. They, should they be allowed to? Yes. Should people sponsor it? No, absolutely not. Corporate sponsors should pull out, and I congratulate uh, Delta and the Bank of America. I think we should point that out. And I want to go back and say that I I really came down on CNN for uh, being slow to fire Kathy Griffin, but they did fire her. That was the right thing to do, not because of her opinions, not because of what she's saying, because it's not an opinion If if your opinion is Donald Trump should be assassinated, our our duly elected political leader should be assassinated. That's not an important opinion. That is just virtue showing off. You know, it, it shouldn't be censored. The law should have nothing to say about it. But why would you be supporting that? Do you believe that? Why would you be supporting it? It's not edgy. It's cowardly. And by the way, this thing, I think it was Ross Douthat brought this up, that back in 2012, there was a a Julius Caesar production with a black Julius Caesar and some critics said you can't help thinking but think of Barack Obama that's not the same thing that is not the same thing just because the guy happened to be black didn't make him Barack Obama this is a model of Julius Caesar now let me just talk about this play for a minute what they're maybe not hearing you know Shakespeare was a monarchist he believed in the monarchy uh, even though he saw how it was based on show but he was always you know writing good things about the monarchy and the people who killed monarchs in his plays are generally regarded as sinful. Now he sees the issues in Julius Caesar. Julius Caesar is not what you would call a well-made play. It's virtually just a debate on the killing of things. But what, what Shakespeare always understands in his brilliance is that politics and personality all come together. And Brutus is the reluctant noble Roman who is kind of seduced into this assassination plot, which ends with the fall of the Republic. The assassination and the the follow-up bring on the fall of the Republic, even though Julius Caesar is a guy who wants to be king, and he's threatening the Republic by, you know, his, uh, his massive ego and by allowing, you know, kind of playing the crowds with his leftist policies, by the way, just pointing that out, but he had leftist policies. He was giving things to the people. He was going to give all his money to the people, give park lands to the people. Those were the ways that he was buying the the kingship or trying to. But Cassius, who has a lean and hungry look, right, he's the one who tempts Brutus to the into the assassination plot by saying to him, shouldn't it be you? Why is he bigger than you? Let me quote to you this famous I couldn't find a video of a good actor doing it so I'll have to read it myself. But here is the famous speech in which, part of the famous speech in which Cassius tempts Brutus to commit this assassination. And he's comparing Caesar to the Colossus of Rhodes. Remember with the big, uh, he stood astride the port and you would sail underneath him. And he says, Cassius says of Caesar, why man he doth bestride the narrow world like a colossus and we petty men walk under his huge legs and peep about to find ourselves dishonorable graves. Men at some time are masters of their fates. The fault, dear Brutus, is not in our stars, but in ourselves that we are underlings. Brutus and Caesar, why what should be in that Caesar? Why should that name be sounded more than yours? Write them together, yours is as fair a name. Sound them, it doth become the mouth as well. Weigh them, it is as heavy, conjure with them. Brutus will start a spirit as soon as Caesar now in the names of all the gods at once upon what meat doth this our caesar feed that he has grown so great why isn't it you why isn't it you so maybe in portraying caesar as donald trump this is what this is what the democrats are asking themselves why isn't it us why isn't it us who got the power why did we lose the election you know they don't they don't know themselves. The only person who knows them at all is Bernie Sanders, who's been going around making speeches. He's not even a Democrat. He's an independent. He just became a Democrat for 10 minutes so he could steal, uh, you know, so he could uh, become president or try to become president. But he's the one who's going around telling them that they've lost. They've lost their their policies have failed. Their policies have failed. And he is bidding them to become further and further to the left he made a speech yesterday will listen to a little cut of this current model and the current strategy of the democratic party is an absolute failure the democratic party democratic party needs fundamental change fundamental change what it needs is to
1: open up its doors to working people and young people and all people who are prepared to fight for social and economic justice. The
0: Democratic Party must finally understand which side it is on. And that cannot be the side of Wall Street or the fossil fuel industry or the drug companies. Yeah, because we don't need oil or medicine or money, you know, that's that's, so, so this is what they've got. This is what they've got. Their assassination porn, their Russia investigation, which, by the way, is all that Russia could ask for. This is what Russia cares about. They don't care whether Donald Trump or Hillary Clinton is president. They don't care that much about the two of them. What they care about is that we are paralyzed in these investigations. So good for them. So their assassination porn, their Uh, investigations, their fantasy life of changing, rewriting history, this is what weak people do when they don't have the strength of ideas. This is what weak people do to weaken the strong, to make the strong as weak as they are by creating a world in which simple truth can't be spoken that's what we're watching and I really do think that we should be thinking as well as the government you know the the Republicans are always saying well we need the house well we need the senate well we need the White House but why don't they get anything done well what we really need is the media we need to start thinking about the media uh, not just in terms of the news but also in terms of entertainment and we are thinking about it we are I mean I think the daily wire is part of that and a big part of it and hopefully we'll get bigger as we go along Um, In our new studios with the champagne fountains and the dancing girls and all that. I have to take just a moment to say farewell to Adam West, the Batman... of the 60s. I don't know how many people ever saw this, but the Batman TV show of the 60s was absolutely hilarious. Adam West was a pudgy little guy who would wear this tight Batman suit and his belly would be over his utility belt. Meanwhile, by the way, in between takes, he was going into the dressing room. It was the swinging 60s and he was having sex with as many as eight women at a time. But then he would go out and do this absolutely po-faced, straight-faced satire of Batman. Here is just, uh, he died, I don't know, in his 80s uh, over the Clavenless weekend. Here is just a brief cut of him, of Batman, uh, Robin, the commissioner, and a police officer trying to solve one of the dastardly confounding riddles of the Riddler. To confound us further, the telegram ends with a riddle. What is it that travels on
1: all fours in the morning? On two legs at noon and three at twilight?
0: If you intend to follow me, add the answer to the other three. What can we do, Batman? It saddens me, Commissioner, but I just don't know.
1: Gosh, Batman, I'm sure hung up on this riddle. I'll help you just as soon as I collate these figures for the remote
0: Bat-computer. Now, if my original premise was correct, and that machine has done a man's job... Man's job? Man's job?
1: Man! That's it, Batman! Man travels on all fours in the morning of his life or as an infant. And on two legs at noon or as an adult. With a cane or three legs in the twilight of his life. Congratulations, Robin. Now let's concentrate on the last part of Riddler's Challenge. (laughs)
0: <laughs> so I, I, I'm sure a lot of people have seen this, but when they would get into fights, they would punch each other and the word pow and wham and soccer would ex- appear on the screen. I used to watch this thing uh, as a little kid and just uh, absolutely uh, roll on the floor with laughter. And for my money, by the way, it was more profound than the movies now that take these comic books seriously. I think that the satire was actually uh, closer to the get got closer to the depth of what Batman is about than the movies do now. All right, stuff I like. I was talking yesterday about Daphne du Maurier, um, who is one of the really fine storytellers of the age of the moderns, and uh, mentioned that another one was Somerset Maugham, and so he will be uh, my stuff I like today. These are the guys, these are the people who, as... Literature was becoming modernistic like James Joyce and Thomas Mann and more uh, Difficult to understand. This is what happens when an art ages it becomes more intellectual It separates like the movies are doing now into movies that the critics and the elite like and movies that the people like and They can't bring them together when a art form is at its best Like British theater when Shakespeare was writing and the ordinary people would come to see Shakespeare and the intellectuals would come to see Shakespeare because that was playwright English playwriting at its peak the same thing was true of the movies in the 30s 40s part of the 50s the Successful movies and the popular movies were the same movie now as the movies are getting older They are pulling apart when that was happening to literature and and the literature of people like James Joyce which a lot of people don't want to read because it's complex and intellectual and very referential the people who kept storytelling alive were guys like Somerset Maugham and he he felt this in himself he used to call himself the he said he was at the very first row of the second raiders and a lot of his stories are about people who are not quite great artists or people who yearn to be great or but aren't and sometimes about people who are great as he would explore that he was also interestingly uh a closeted probably a closeted homosexual though he was married he may have been bisexual uh and and in those days of course he couldn't just come out and do that but it also it enhanced his female characters because he allowed them to be sexual characters because he kind of identified with them so he kind of wrote about them uh his uh, his classic book. is masterpiece, I guess, is of human bondage, which is very uh, autobiographical. It's about a guy with a club foot, and the club foot a lot of people think represented mom's homosexuality was a kind of symbol for that. Uh, the Razor's Edge, very famous book about the search for wisdom. Ashenden, one of the first uh, spy novels, but also his short stories. Again, like Daphne du Maurier, he was a great short story writer. If you've never read Rain or The Alien Corn or The Kite, these are all good, and they were made into a film called quartet uh, back in the 50s, I think. It may have been the 40s, but I think it was in the 50s uh, that actually Somerset Mom I, I believe, appears in and he narrates part of it. But it has one of my favorite short stories of all time. It's called The Alien Corn from Keats's poem, Ode to a Nightingale. Uh, he talks about Ruth amid the alien corn. And what it's about, it's a really good story. It is about a, an upper class Englishman who decides that to the absolute shock of his father that he wants to be a concert pianist. And I'll play just a little bit of the movie version of this. You should read the short story. This is Dirk Bogard as the young man talking to his father and his father's wonderful reaction.
1: You must have a talk about your future one of these days. Yes, I'd like to. You know, you're a lucky young devil. Often the young fellows your age are in a position to choose to play piano career they want to. Should last year at Oxford. Then the diplomatic corps, if you like. Or the House of Commons, if you have of mind for politics. Of course, your mother would like to see you in the Grenadier Guards, I know. And your uncle would like you in the city with him. But... As a matter of fact, Father, I, I've been thinking about this pretty carefully recently, and I've I finally made up my mind what I want to be. Oh, what's that? A pianist. What? I want to play the piano. Well, of course, you can play the piano any time you like. I was talking about your career.
0: That's what I meant.
1: I want to be a professional pianist. Well, you know, I've loved it ever since I was a small boy. Sometimes I've given it up when something new came along, but I always went back to it. And, you know, even at Oxford, I I practiced sometimes all, all through the night.
0: Now I know quite definitely that that's what I want to give my life to.
1: George, I don't think I quite understand. I used to be fond of fishing when I was a boy. I didn't become a professional fisherman. I didn't give my life to it. <laughs> Fishing and music aren't quite the same thing, Father. I mean, you know, music is an
0: art. <laughs> father, can I? You might, you might just as well have said, "I want to flap my arms and fly to the moon." The father then makes a deal with the son and gives him time to try out. Uh, being a concert pianist in a very special way, I won't give it away. Really worthwhile reading The Alien Corn by Somerset Maugham. He was a wonderful, wonderful storyteller, wonderful writer. I do not believe he was in the first row of the second Raiders. I believe he was a first Raider doing something that was going out of fashion at the time, which is not the same thing. All right. that's. I think this is our last show from my house And tomorrow, we will be in the studio, but the studio will not yet be revealed. We won't have the champagne fountains going. I don't think the dancing girls have arrived from whatever slave state we're shipping them in from, and I think the elephants are also uh, still in the parking lot, but we will be in the studio, at least uh, physically there, so maybe we can start to bring back guests and things, which would be nice, and get uh, Michael Knowles back on Monday. Uh, But tomorrow, we will have the mailbag, so that means get your questions in now. The answers are guaranteed 100% correct, and Change your life on occasion for the better. That'll be tomorrow. Be there. I'm Andrew Clavin. This is The Andrew Clavin Show.